Hi there. Thanks for checking out the New Life Speaker Podcast. All our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Lutheran Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. If you don't want to miss out on our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. The money goes towards the seven tradition and helps fund our meeting. You can find a link to this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. I'm Colleen. I'm an alcoholic. All right. So um, I'm going to, you know, um, my sobriety date is March 17th, uh, 2015. Uh, So for an Irish Catholic girl getting clean on St. Patrick's Day is a really big thing, right? Uh, Didn't think I was going to stay clean. I I have a sponsor, you know, who knows she's my sponsor. I also sponsor other women. Um, So I guess I'll just start with the beginning. I feel like I can't see everybody, but all right. <laughs> so I grew up in Jersey. I talk very quick too, so I'm trying not to talk as quick as I usually do. So I grew up in Jersey um, in Roselle, and I could tell you when I first started telling my story, I told everybody I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, so they thought I was a little bit cooler than I am, right? Uh, try to make it seem a little tougher. Um, so I was born into a family with uh, two brothers and a sister, mom and dad. Uh, down the street, my aunt lived. She had uh, three children, and she was married to my favorite uncle. And I never could understand why everybody was always mad at Uncle Frank. Right? Uncle Frank was fun. I thought he was real fun. You know, he'd play with me. Um, but what I didn't know is he had alcoholism. And I remember being five and running into the house, and he was dead on the floor. And I had no idea what alcoholism was, but my life changed because now my cousins came to move in with me. So I consider myself a baby of seven. So all through my life, I can tell you that every, there was always different addictions in my life. Um, you know, like my one brother, like he thought he was going to be Roger Daltrey and travel around with the who and like took off at 18, smoking weed. Uh, my other brother thought he was going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? He was going to be this you know famous bodybuilder like he was obsessed with that my other sister was obsessed with eating so she was obese and then my sister closest to me was an addict and she's all but she's passed from this disease but she was you know all through her life too she struggled with the same thing I did and if I look back I always wanted more like if it was a Barbie doll I go in and as a way out of the store I'm already thinking of the next Ken doll that I'm gonna get I can't even be satisfied with what I have. I always wanted something more and more and more. Um, So I went to Catholic school. Um, You know, it was fine. You know, I went to church with my parents. You know, everything was like, you know, my father would have a couple drinks at night. But the thing between the two of us was that his life never got unmanageable, right? As soon as I put something in my body, I become unmanageable and life turns chaotic. so I, I think my grandfather may have been an alcoholic. I'm not really sure. I like remember him like when I was five or six, you know, maybe like drinking too much, um, but never like in my immediate family, like my, my parents, I didn't really see them. My mother would have a drink every once in a while. So in like eighth grade, um, it was either to go to the Catholic all girls school or to the public school, right? Where there were boys. And I was boy crazy at that time. So I was like, please let me go to the public school. And I can tell you, I walked into my public into the public school for the, the first day and I was the only white girl in the homeroom. And I was like, 
great. I can reinvent myself one more time. So throughout high school, I would, you know, dress like Madonna uh, one year, right? Another year, it was like the Ramones, the B-52s, um, you know, all these, I would just change all the time, right? Just, I couldn't be okay with me. Um, so I was like, at probably like 16, my sister had became pregnant and back then being pregnant in a Catholic family, that was not a thing, right? Um, so my sister was getting a lot of attention from my parents um, and I developed an eating disorder at that time. So I was in and out of different, you know, like treatment centers, they were like, keep you for a week. And they didn't really understand like what to do for somebody that had an eating disorder, but it was something I could control. And so I went on like that through like 16, 17, 18, and my sister at this point now starts getting in trouble with the law. Um, you know, she has her, her daughter, then she has an, uh, a son and then another son, right? And I can tell you today, my two nephews are heroin addicts in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, my sister and her husband both have died from this disease and my niece also passed away uh, two years ago uh, from addiction. Um, so it definitely runs in our family, right? Uh, so I guess, it, I guess about like 17, I wanted to go to Rutgers. So I get into Rutgers and I'm like, I'm not gonna do Scarlet Night. This is the best. But I didn't apply myself, right? I was at too many fraternity parties. Didn't get the grades I was supposed to get, you know. Um, and I thought it was really cool. Like, you know, like I'm standing on top of the bars going outside and getting sick and coming back in. And I thought everybody like thought I was the best. Because when I'm drinking or using any kind of substance, I think I'm a big deal. I'm kind of famous. I'm like it, right? Everybody knows who I am, right? Um, in the real world, though, I am a hostage, like a, a terrorist, and I keep people hostage, right, when I'm using. So my parents said, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. So I found out that dental hygiene was a two-year program, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. You know, I started dating somebody at like 14 uh, until about 21. It was a very abusive relationship. I like chaos. You know, if he hit me, I'd be like, oh my God, he loves me so much. Oh my God, he's so great. Like delusional thinking, but I liked that kind of chaos, right? I liked anything that was gonna make me stand out from everybody else. And I thought that that was something that was like, it was true love. Um, so about 21, I, you know, we break up. I get a short house in Jersey. Uh, you know, I'm going crazy. I'm working in the Osprey and Manasquan as a shot girl. But I'm like, I have this thing strapped on me, right, with these shots, right? But I'm like bringing in cranberry juice to like drink the shot, pour this in, and then bring it to the person, right? Because I'm like, I'm gonna drink for free. Um, that's just what, you know, I thought was great. Uh, and not thinking I had any kind of problems. Like if I look back, my friends would drink those like, you know, sex on the beach and like these fruity drinks and they'd have two and they'd be like, bah, right? I'm drinking like eight beers, I'm doing a couple shots, I'm outside getting sick, coming back in, like just a mess. Um, but then my friends all, like the second year we had our shore house, like all started like getting involved. So I'm like, I'm gonna find myself somebody. So I find my husband and I kept him hostage for 28 years of his life. Um, he had no idea what he was getting into, but Colleen likes to follow what everybody else is doing. So my friends were getting married, okay. I, get, I have three priests at my wedding, right? Like I'm not even like my, my ex-mother-in-law, she was very big into the religion. We had like three priests. I had like 250 people at this wedding. But inside, I'm still dying, 
right? I'm really dying inside. I still don't know what's wrong with me. I can't figure out why I can't be happy like everybody else without putting something in my body. Um, my sister had gone into the Women's State Penitentiary and I can tell you I used to drive my parents there because I was too good to go in. I was like, I'll take you there, but I'm not going in, you know? But I was a good daughter because I was driving her, my parents there and I just want everybody to think I was so great as a, you know, a daughter. So I figured, best thing to do, let's have kids. That's gonna fix me. You know, um, my ex-husband, was a, he's a teacher, uh, a coach. Um, so we have my daughter in um, 98 and then I said, I'll never do that again. And then it's kind of like when you're, you're detoxing, right? And you're like, the, so, the pain's so intense. But after you get like out of detox, you're like, it wasn't that bad, right? Mm -hmm. So I got pregnant with my son and uh, we, we buy a new house, a bigger house, three cars in the driveway, two of us driving, because I always had to have more than everybody else. Um, and life, you know, it was, it was okay. My sister was in and out of jail. Um, you know, she remarried, went back to doing drugs. Um, but then September 11th happens and I lost three friends at the Trade Center. Um, and I was like, there's no God. There is no God in this world. I mean, I could tell you I dibble-dallied with like certain like pills because I worked at a dental office. Like, you know, my, we had like a stock of them at the one oral surgeon's office. You know, I would, everyone's want to take a pill and make myself feel better, but I never got really into it. Um, so after my father, after 9-11, my father was diagnosed in November of that year with stage four lung cancer and died that January. And I remember saying to my sister, I cannot sleep. I don't know what's wrong, but I can't sleep. And there was a bottle of hydrocodone cough syrup and I took that and I was like, this is good. Which led on to a two to three year run with my sister, doctor shopping, getting whatever we possibly could to put my side my body so I felt better. And it, it led to me calling in fraudulent prescriptions I had a DEA number. I called him fraudulent prescriptions. I was arrested in the town where my husband was the head football coach. And um, the thing is, is like, I really, I would tell my husband I'm so tired from being with the kids. So I'd leave for work in scrubs. He'd come home from work, maybe like nine o'clock after coaching, he'd eat dinner and I'd be in like sweats. So he really couldn't tell how much weight I had lost. And I can always say it, it's my eating disorder coming, you know, coming out. Uh, so he, had no idea, and I had to call and tell him I was just arrested for fraudulent prescriptions. Uh, but in Jersey, they have a thing called PTI, pretrial intervention, with my first offense. I was charged in two counties, but I was only, could have one, like, I guess, I don't even know, sentence. Um, so they gave me like six months of um, probation. I had to do like, I think some kind of community service. Nothing really. I really didn't have anything that was really detrimental to me, right? Um, and I was like, yeah, I'll be all right. I'm going to be fine. Um, I did go on like an MAT program, but I abused it back then. Um, and I remember like still always feeling like, I don't know why. I, I was in Disney one time sitting there watching these people and being like, how are all these families so happy? I am dying inside. I cannot stand my own skin, but you know, I was like, maybe it's just me. I mean, am I the only person that feels like this? 
you know, so fast forward, I entered my first treatment center. Um, after being in a behavioral health, I went to my first treatment center, uh, made my way back into the house with my ex-husband. Um, you know, we're still married at the time. And I said, well, my, my choice of substance is opiate, so I can drink. <laughs> that didn't turn out well. Um, and the next thing I remember is uh, I was really going through it, and I remember calling my nephew to get me something, and he took off with my money. Uh, my sister overdosed, and I had to go pull the plug on her, and I didn't know what to do, and I remember calling my niece, and I got my first bag of a substance, and I remember being on the parkway, 136, I pulled over, went into the gas station, snorted my first bag, and said, oh my God. I have arrived. I can be a social user. I can go get a six pack, which means like a six, six bags a week and everything be fine. It doesn't happen like that, right? My life went downhill from there. Um, you know, I, I uh, did a lot of things in that, in that time. Um, I remember stealing $10,000 out of my mother-in-law's safe. Um, I stole money from my kids. Uh, there was a lot of shameful stuff I did. And the only reason I can sit up here and tell you guys about it is because like I went through a thorough fourth and fifth step, you know, with my sponsor the first time I, mean, I do them uh, once a year, but I, I was able to now share that with people, right? Because other people may have, that may have happened. I want people to know that that's not like, some people do that, right? Um, and then I went into my next behavioral health and I think this was like the, the worst thing I ever did to my children um, was I slit my wrist at home and I ended up in a treatment center and they said, you're going to Lancaster, PA. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not. So I came here. I went to a treatment center in uh, Ephrata. Uh, I did what they said. I kind of like, you know, they told me to go to meetings, you know. I was kind of in the groups, but I was really outside smoking most of the time, right? <laughs> go to recovery house. I go to that recovery house, right? I'm like, so, you know, like I'm doing everything. I'm going to cool meetings, you know, where everybody goes, right? And I'm like, you know, wearing the Uggs and the leggings, you know, the coach bag. Because that's what we did, right? That's what it was back then. It was like that. You know, I used to say that recovery houses should give out fitteds and Jordans and like, you know, coaches and, and Uggs. And I, and I did that, right? And I did what I was supposed to do. Um, and I was like a bozo. I would tell everybody I had this really great sponsor that everybody had. <laughs> I really didn't even talk to her. I was just telling people. So my friend and I decided it was a great idea for us to move out of this house. So we're gonna move into Lancaster on top of Sabaki Boys, if anybody knows where that is, it's on uh, James and Queen. And for the first month I stayed sober. Um, but then um, I decided it would be a good idea to drink a Four loco, walk around the street, put it in a vitamin water bottle. You know, it was great. Um, and I was like, you know, this is okay. I can do this, I can drink. That's not my problem. <laughs> which later turned into uh, seven months. Uh, I became homeless. Um, I was stealing every single day to get my substance. Uh, you know, just Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie. You know, it was like a, it was like a job. I would go, I, would, I was a waitress, right? Like who would want to get food for me? I didn't shower, right? My hair was starting to be dreads. It was gross, but I would go to work and I probably, I didn't make that much and I would go to the store, steal. I'd do all this really shady stuff. But my friend, who I moved in with, decided to get sober, and I started seeing her at work, and she was, life was better for her, right? She was smiling. 
she was like doing things like her kids were getting back in her life she was uh, having another child you know just all this stuff and and I remember still feeling like you know if I do this and there was this one guy he worked at, at the treatment center his name was Bernard um, he would come into the diner and sit in my section once a week you ready get the Cadillac to come down here and pick you up you ready I'm like I'm not doing anything like I'm on a diet I'm at the gym right um, it's crazy that I would think that you know I was like I call it heroin chic um, but that's how I was right I was like so thin and I'm thinking like I'm so great right it's insane um, so I said to my friend who got sober I said I'll go back to treatment if you be my sponsor now she had six months sober but she knew the big book because she's been doing this for years she had like maybe 16 treatment centers under her belt i thought that's great she knows the big book i'm gonna try it i go back into treatment and i go back to that same recovery house but this time they tell me i have to go to denver pa and if you know denver pa there's one stoplight in the whole town my whole life was walking to turkey hill and back but I was like, I'm going to give it a chance, right? My kids were allowed to talk to me one day a week at 6 o'clock, and if I didn't call, then I couldn't talk to them. Um, my ex-husband brought them like two times the first year I was sober to see me. Uh, my son thought I had the cooties. He wouldn't hug me. He was like this. Um, wouldn't drink out of a straw. But, you know, I, I sit down. I start doing these steps, right? Like, I admit it. All right, yeah, I'm powerless. I get it. You know, I, I can't believe that a power greater than myself is going to restore me to sanity. But when it came to making a decision to turn my will over, right, I'd say, would say to my sponsor, well, I could probably just sit here on the couch because God's going to give me a job. Right? I don't have to do anything. And I would say, I just don't think these are going to work for me. And she said, so millions of people have gone through this big book and stayed sober. But it says Colleen will never, ever stay sober doing these 12 steps. And I was like, all right, yeah, you're right. Okay. So I remember it was... Uh, March, uh, May 3rd, the only reason I remember is because my sponsor's daughter was due the next day, and we got down on our knees and said the third step prayer together at the back of the recovery house, right? And I get a job at a Comfort Inn. So now, I was making a lot of money as a hygienist, um, so I had to start working at the Comfort Inn in Denver. It was three miles for me to walk there, and I'd walk every morning and every night. But I truly believe that was my time with God, right? Like, that was the time that I would be walking to work. I had four songs on like this little, like it wasn't even an iPod. I don't even know what it was, like this thing. It was four songs. And I'd be talking, I'd be like, things don't get better, things don't get better. Things started getting better, right? I moved myself up in that, uh, in that job and became like a manager and then an overnight manager. So things started changing, right? Um, but I sat down with another woman, right? And I told her this stuff that I did, right? These unbelievable, horrific things that I've done in my life, right? And all she said is, okay, right? She didn't go on to me. She shared her experience with me. She put her, my hand in God's hand and said, okay, you shared them. They can't hurt you anymore, right? They get them off your back. Because what, before I start doing a force up, I got like bags on my back, right? And I can't even, I can't even move because I have so much baggage, you know? And I remember her saying, you know, now I want you to go home, you know, character defects. Because my character defects, I can tell you, are, you know, like I like to cause jealousy, right? Um, I have a big ego. All these things. And they still creep up. I keep some of them in my back pocket because if I want to pull them out every once in a while, when I take my will back. Because God knows, like, I don't do this program perfectly. I am not a saint. And a lot of times when we come into these rooms, everybody thinks, well, you're doing AA. You've got to be, like, perfect. It's progress. I harm people. 
I just make an amends for it, right? Like, it's not like I try to harm them, but if I realize I do, I, you know, I make sure I do that. So I sit down with her, and she also tells me to write a list, an ideal list of somebody that maybe I would want as a partner in the future. So I go and I put down, he has to have a car, he has to have a house, he has to be like a Joey bag of donuts, you know, like the big muscle heads, you know, go to the gym, have a good job. And she's like, wait a second, you don't go to the gym. You don't even have a car. I didn't have a car for the first three years I was sober. You, you don't go to the gym, you don't have a car, you don't have a house, you live in a recovery house because you have no other place to go to, right? I'm like, so what she really wanted me to write down is I wanted somebody that was loving and kind and like this, and so I could pro project this stuff out into the world. All right, so you know, I do that now, I gotta make amends, right? And I'm telling, uh, make this list of people. And I can tell you my ex-husband would have thought a heroin addict is that seedy person we all see in those movies, right? And I didn't want him to realize that. He knew it was opiates. So I knew it would probably harm him if I said the word heroin. Uh, so when I made my amends to him, it, you know, I explained it. I told him what I was, you know, what I did. And, and I said, like, every time I put alcohol in my system, like, I have no, you know, I choose to pick it up. If I go out tonight, I choose to pick it up. I drink. All of a sudden, I have no... I have no power over what's going to happen over the next, you know, couple days. You know, and I sit down with him and I, and I realize that, like, this man for the last five years, like, for the last five years of me being in and out of treatment has taken care of my kids, right? He's had this house. He's been paying the mortgage that I didn't pay because it almost went into foreclosure because I pretended that I was paying it. So I don't say this to, like, make it look like I'm so great. I just gave him the house and divorce, right? Because like at this point, I'm happy with my life, right? So I, I give him the house, um, and I can tell you when a fear broke up, there were liens against my house for um, credit cards that I didn't know, right? So there was like, I don't know, $10,000, and he calls me up, and he's screaming, like, I didn't know we had this, and I'm like, I don't know what you want me to do, I didn't know about it either, and I gave you the whole house, and I realized it was fear-based, and his future... Uh, new wife was there and I was like tell her to shut, shut the F up and who does she think she is like last year like at Christmas time I called her and I had to say to her I'd make amends to her right I was like I was feared up I didn't know what you were gonna think of me because of everything else you knew about me and I truly am sorry that I acted like that right and like her response to me was like listen we're gonna be in each other's lives for the rest of our lives right we're gonna be our kids are things we're supposed to worry about but I sat down with my son and I tell him what my choice of substance is. And my son says, you don't look like one. So I said, what do they look like? And he described that seedy person, right? And he still, I don't think, understood what it was like, you know, what, like that anybody could do this. And, and he had this coach and he became a police officer and he was found in his car, overdosed in his police car. And then my son said, yeah, it can be anybody, right? So, so life started getting better. I started working in a treatment center. I was able to do a family education program at that treatment center for a year and a half. Um, and then I, I went and I got my CRS um, and I worked at a place around here for three and a half years. Um, and I decided that I, I wanted to change. And like, so I work at a treatment center now and started off as a clinical specialist. And at 57 years old, I went back to college. Can you imagine that? Right? I was like, oh my God. Uh, but to get the position that I have now, I had to be going back into school. You know, I had uh, some credit. So what I do now is I work three twelves and a four, which is great. And I get to share things with people and, and you know, people that are struggling. Um, but I can tell you my kids, um, life got better with my kids. 
Uh, my son will call me constantly every day now. Um, he just graduated from college with a degree in Homeland Security. He's looking for a job. My daughter, she graduated two years ago. She has like a some kind of HR job. Um, but my brothers were hard to talk to, right? Um, my one brother told me he didn't want anything to do with me. And I was like five years sober and he called me up and he said, you know, it's a really big deal that you're five years sober. I finally now I'm going back to a, a you know, a, a doctor. Um, I guess he was going to see a, see a psychiatrist, he said, for like my trauma from my past, right? So things got better there. And then my other brother, um, his wife, my mom died the first year I was sober and his wife said to me, after the repast, goodbye and good riddance. And I was like, okay. Uh, just this year in March, I mean in May, um, I went home for my son's graduation. My brother had all the family over to his house, invited me, which was crazy. I was still going in their house thinking, are they watching? Are they see if I'm gonna steal something, right? Um, and then my son for my eight years uh, got me tickets to see Bruce, which I'm going next on Wednesday. Um, but my brother, you know, he's, he's going too. So like, I'm gonna be able to go out, you know, and be the designated driver for everybody because I'm sure they're not, you know. But I can tell you like my life with going through these steps has like totally changed so many things about me. You know, like I, I live in a, a rental townhouse. I have a 2010 car, but I'm happy. Like I'm happy to do things. Like I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm not scared to be by myself. I can tell you COVID hit and I hate Zoom meetings. And I called my sponsor, I said, I'm quitting. Quitting AA, can't do it anymore. I'm going to work, I'm coming home, I'm laying in my bed watching every reality show I possibly could. And I'm not doing anything else. And she said, you know, you can invite women over to your house, you know, they're not, if they don't have COVID, they can come over. And I was like, oh, I didn't think of that, right? So like, that's one of the things that like, changed, right? Made, like changed me to want to be able to do that. I also work for a recovery house. Um, I've been doing it for like seven years with my sponsor. So uh, I'm gonna I tell you this. So you know how they think, like people sometimes think that if they tell you you're gonna get something, you're gonna stop drinking, right? You're gonna stop drinking. And so my sponsor, for, she was sober for nine months, her parents bought her a house. So they buy her this house, the day they sign the, you know, the mortgage, she decides she's gonna relapse, right? So her parents turn this house into a sober living house. So now we have, three, we have one house in Berks County and two in, Eph in Ephrata. And it turned out to be like a blessing, right? That, you know, she, she relapsed, but, you know, survived. And now she's there helping other women too, right? Um, so it's, it's weird how things come full circle, right? Like she's my sponsor, you know, she's gonna be celebrating nine years. And um, I don't think I could have did this without her. I couldn't have did it with her, without her being a sponsor she was, right? Because if I had a sponsor that would tell me to go pray on everything, I probably wouldn't have did it. Uh, I would call her up and I would be freaking out and uh, she would say, okay, how do you want to handle it? And uh, right before I left the position I had here in, in Leesport, um, I was having a panic attack at work, right? And I, and I was like really going through it. And um, I remember all I kept on saying to myself, if nobody answers, I'm going to the liquor store. If nobody answers, I'm going to the liquor store. So I call my sponsor, she doesn't answer. I call my sponsee, she answers, right? So then my sponsor calls me back and tells me I'm going to the liquor store. There's no stopping me. Um, but 
talking to those women and my sponsor called my roommate and my roommate came home from work and sat there with me. I was just going through like a really bad time in my life and I don't, I don't even know what brought it on, right? Um, and this is the way God works though. The reason I got my new job is because I was in getting a pedicure and my like brand sponsor came in and we're talking and she's like, oh, my husband's place is a hiring. Why don't you just go there? I'm like, oh no, they're not going to hire me. And it was just like God saying to me, like, try something different, right? Try and see if you like something different. And that's what happened. So I, I, I believe that, you know, I, I believe there's so many ways of getting sober, right? My way of getting sober was going through these 12 steps, right? And literally listening to what my sponsor said. You know, she would tell me to do something. I was like, okay. Tell me to do something. I'd be like, okay. But I, I, I also said to her, like, I'll do anything to not go back to where I was. Because living homelessly in Lebanon County um, was not fun. I mean, I had a car, so I mean, I can't say I was like homeless, homeless. Um, but it, it, you know, I, I can't believe I wasted so much time in my life and just didn't do this the first time I got sober. And the only thing I tell people about looking for a sponsor, keep on going to the meeting that somebody's going to. If you're still looking for a sponsor, like pick somebody that meeting. You say, oh yeah, this person looks good. But I'm going to come back every week to that same meeting and see what that person's doing, right? Because I, I could be up here right now. I could spew off the big book, right? I really can't, but I could be up here sharing really good stuff, right? But then I go outside of here, and I'm like the worst person in the world, right? So I always say just watch that person. See what, what, you know, what they have. And everybody's like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to get a temporary sponsor. I don't believe in temporary sponsors because I feel like I didn't drink temporarily, right? If you're going to do it, get into it, right? Because... If we don't stay sober, anybody in here does not stay sober, that means somebody else out there is not going to stay sober because they're not going to hear your story, right? That's one thing like I always try and like, I realize like I want to be the messenger, I don't want to be the message because if I'm the message, then I'm not around here anymore, right? I don't want to keep on rambling. I'm sorry, I don't know how long you're usually speaking. I'm, I, <laughs> no, I probably won't though. I don't want to keep on rambling, but you know, I'm just... I'm telling you my experience with AA was, you know, when I came into these rooms, I, and I also tell people, like, when you go into a room and you sit down and you feel, that's where you should be, right? Because I believe any kind of meeting is going to help me, right? I just know that AA, the way that they do the 12 steps and the way my sponsor did the 12 steps was something that was going to work for me. I will make any kind of meeting. You know, I try all different meetings, so I have to try and tell my clients different things that they could do. Um, but I always feel at home every time I walk into a meeting in AA. And I'm probably going to stop because I feel like I'm rambling on. But that's it. Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speaker Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through the Seven Tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link in the description below, or they can also be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when we upload a new episode. Thanks for listening.